Welcome back to Riding the Pine. Jack Ridenauer here, and it's going to be another big episode today on Riding the Pine. But first, a little recap of the last episode, which was a really, really fun one. I kicked things off talking about the NBA and the NHL and their forward movement in terms of getting players back onto the ice and back onto the court and what they're going to do in terms of playing out the rest of the season and what the playoffs might look like for those two leagues. I then got into my topic for the episode, which was a really, really good one, discussing greatest dual sport athletes. And I shared my top five greatest two sport athletes to excel at not only one, but two sports. And then I capped off the episode with an incredible interview with one of my favorite guests that I've had on Riding the Pine yet, Andrew Garcia assistant men's basketball coach at USC Upstate. It was a really good one out now, folks. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out now. Available on Apple and Spotify. Today is going to be another really, really good one as I'm back sitting with Ashton Gibbs, and we're going to be talking about his sophomore year at Pitt, continuing that conversation from last week, last time I talked with Ashton when we talked about his freshman year at Pitt. We'll also discuss the new NBA playoff format, and I'll get Ashton's thoughts on the format if he likes it or not, and then I'll also share my input uh, put on it as well. And then we'll just keep going back and forth about his time at Pitt and the incredible improvement that he had from his freshman to sophomore year and how that offseason proved to be a big offseason for him. Folks, as always, it's going to be a really good one. So if I were you, I'd kick back, relax, and as always, enjoy the show. Welcome back to Riding the Pine, Jack Ridenauer, alongside Ashton Gibbs. Ashton, thanks again so much for joining me today, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me again. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun one because there's been a lot of new developments in the basketball world, as I'm sure you're well aware of. The NBA has come out with this new playoff format, as I'm sure you've seen, because it's very interesting. Um, it's going to be a 1-16 through 16 playoff format, basically going to eliminate the whole East versus West kind of uh, format where it usually had the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference, and then the champions of those two divisions would play each other in the finals. Now it's 1 through 16. It's really up for grabs for anybody in either division. I want to hear your thoughts when you first saw that. What do you think is going to work? What do you think is not going to work? Because I think it's going to be a great format. I love the format, and it honestly gives you somewhat of an NCAA tournament type of feel because now you talk about the Western Conference team that has to play against the you know, Eastern Conference team and – I think it'll add to the fan base as well. Um, it'll, it'll become a lot more intriguing for the fans just to see and even the players because you can't you have to game plan and you don't have you know much time to game plan for, you know, an Eastern Conference opponent, somebody you wouldn't normally play. Yeah, I think it's going to really add that dimension of how almost like the NCAA tournament is with the seeding. And it's going to give that feeling of, OK, if a 12 seed knocks off a five seed it's going to feel like an upset. So people are going to want to watch that more often. People are going to say, hey, like this 12 versus 5 is going to be an upset or a 13 versus 4 will be an upset or whatever. And I think that's what basketball, especially the NBA, has been missing over these past few years is that there's no feeling of like an upset. There's no feeling of, hey, there's an underdog in this fight. It's really just the best of the best. And I think, honestly, it will make some things more difficult for other teams in terms of getting to the finals so teams like a perfect example right now, a lot of people have been talking about the Celtics versus the Sixers matchup. It's a five versus 12. Celtics are the five. Sixers are the 12. People say that's going to be one of the most fun ones to watch because the 76ers 
are not that far behind the Celtics, and they could very well beat the, the Celtics. So that could be an interesting upset match right there, potentially. And it could add, again, it adds a new dimension to basketball. Yeah, for sure. And basketball is a game of matchups. So, you know, one team might, you know, suit you in terms of winning a game and then playing against, uh, you know, another team in a series might not, depending on, you know, who you're playing against, what the matchups are, uh, who the point guard is, the centers. Like, they're, they're all different type of systems in the NBA. You know, almost every team has a different type. So um, it definitely has an NCAA tournament feel. There's going to be an underdog in every in every type of series. So uh, it's going to be fun, man. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited. I mean, it's going to, like you said, like, you know, scouting and looking at other teams, it's going to make some of these Eastern Conference teams that are used to just playing their, you know, Eastern Conference opponents, now they're having to scout against teams that they would have normally not played against I'm going to rattle off a couple of these matchups to you. I'll pull them up on my phone. I want to hear which which ones you think, Ashton, are going to be like ones that are, you know will be fun to watch. I'll let I'll say which ones I think are going to be interesting. We've got Bucks versus Magic, a one versus sixteen. Heat versus Thunder, an eight and nine. Lakers versus Nets, two and fifteen. Number seven Jazz against number ten Rockets. Number three Raptors against number fourteen Grizzlies. Number six Nuggets against the number eleven Pacers, and then the fourth-ranked Clippers taking on the 13th-ranked Mavs, and then again the Celtics versus 76ers at 5-12. and 12. I personally think the Heat and Thunder is going to be a fun matchup to watch. I, li- I like that matchup. I also like the Jazz and the Rockets. Um, I'm a big Donovan Mitchell guy. Um, Joe Ingles, you know, you're talking about good decision-making. Um, they play the right way, the Utah Jazz, and now you're talking about two different type of systems completely almost when you talk about the uh, – the Houston Rockets, you know, iso ball, shoot a lot of threes. So two completely different type of systems, but great players on both ends, Rudy Gobert. So it's going to be a – I think that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I like that matchup too because, like you said, Donovan Mitchell, I think he matches up really well with the, with the guards of the Rockets. And mm-hmm. I think that James Harden would have a hard time covering Donovan Mitchell in a full court, you know, 48-minute game, especially over a course of a series, really. Yep. Um, I also think – a big time potential upset alert would be the Grizzlies and the Raptors. I think, and, and hear me out on this one because John Morant, starting point guard for the Grizzlies, he's no stranger to this idea of upsets and everything. As his Murray State team made a little run in the NCAA tournament last year, so he could carry that over into this format and possibly knock off the Raptors, who I think are very vulnerable. I know you know reigning NBA champions and everything, but without Kawhi. I mean, the team is obviously missing something, and it's very, very obvious to me that they're missing that, you know, added extra dimension of Kawhi Leonard. But I think that the Grizzlies might be a team that can make a lot of noise. For sure. And I agree with you, John Morant. Um, when you talk about the playoffs, you need great guard play. It's very similar to the NCAA tournament where, you know, the guards control the game. So if you have a superstar point guard that's hungry, uh, makes great decisions, athletic, um, John Morant is it. You know, so yeah. he can he can definitely uh, get you over the top, and definitely he's one of those guys that's hungry, and everybody on the on the Grizzlies feeds off his energy. So I can definitely see that happen. He's a fun player to watch. He's probably my favorite rookie to watch by far right now, no question. He reminds me of a combination of like a Russell Westbrook and a John Wall, For something sure. like that. Like you've got a little bit of you know the point guard in him it, because you know like John Wall, but then you've got that explosiveness, that athleticism that both Wall and Westbrook have. So again, they're going to be. I think the Grizzlies are going to be a team to watch down the road. Now, do you see any sort of issues that could come up with 
this format. I know that there's been a lot. There's been some wavering on the players. Some some players are more accepting of it than others. Do you personally see any issues that could could come up with this? I really don't see any issues. I mean, it, some players aren't going to like it just because you're not able to scout different teams. So, you know, uh, Lakers and Nets, for let's say, you know, it's going to be tough for the Lakers to really yeah. scout the Nets and That's really true. understand, like, what they're going to do. But at the same time, you know, that's the that's the beauty of the game. That's the beauty of this format. And I think it's going to be very intriguing for fans to watch. I'm I'm intrigued to see if they will, because there's been a lot of talk about some teams wanting a couple like buffer games before the playoffs start. Will they bring back all of the NBA teams? Because when you think about it, there's, you know, two or three teams that are they don't need to be playing any basketball if they're not going to make the playoffs, it could possibly, you know, open them up to being infected, you know, to uh, COVID-19. So there could be some issues, I think, that could arise with this. And also another point that I saw this is very fascinating is if you're a free agent during this and let's say you've been playing really well and you come back and, you know, you're a team, you're on a team that's not going to make the playoffs and you get injured yeah. in those buffer games and then you really lose your stock during free agency, I would be fuming. Yeah. I would be personally very angry at Adam Silver, at the at the whole entire league that, wow, you're going to bring us all back, teams that aren't even making the playoffs, and then now I'm injured and now I'm not going to make the money and I'm not going to get the notoriety that I deserve after the season that I just had. So I think there it's... For the most part, it's really great, but I think that there could be some kinks that could be worked out a little bit better. No, I agree with you 100 percent. And that's what I was saying, I think, you know, uh, a few weeks back where they're going to it's going to be a few injuries uh, just because guys haven't played in a few months. And guys that are free agents, yeah, you, you can see a lot of guys losing money in this situation, too. It's a big risk. So it's going to be a huge decision on not only the players, but the agents as well. Yeah. Um, because it's a business decision at the end of the day. So um, I heard Damian Lillard kind of talking about it that, you know, if if they don't really have a chance at the playoffs and they're just playing games just to play, he probably won't play. It doesn't make any sense. So um, all in all, the NBA is a business. So you really got to, you know, I, and I think a lot of guys – think like that, that their own brand, their own business, you know, the way they carry themselves on a daily day to day basis um, is a business and they can't get injured, man. That's that's money in, in their pockets at the end of the day. So I could definitely see guys, you know, kind of uh, staying lax and just not playing. Yeah. I mean, if I was a free agent on someone on, say, like the, the, the Hawks or the Kings and I'm having a really good year. I'm sitting out. I don't want to play. I, I'm, you know, what, what's the point of me going and potentially risking getting infected or getting injured? And then I lose again, that stock that I would have had going into free agency. Something that I've seen that was very, very fascinating that I actually would love to see, because again, I think I've said this before. I'm a big kind of play in playoff person. I like those play in series to get into the playoffs, like the wild card series or whatever. I've seen things where the NBA is talking about having like the eight through 15, or I think maybe it was one of the owners who, who suggested this, but eight, the the eight seated team uh, all the way to the 15th seated team. And they would basically just play each other to find that final eight spot. And so the, the one through seven spots would be solidified, but then eight through 15 have kind of this big bracket playoff series to play mm -hmm. in for that eight spot. I like that. I really think that will add a new, again, another dynamic to the NBA. I think that, 
those wild wild card, if you will, series make sports a little bit more fat, not fascinating, but kind of exhilarating, exciting. It makes things, you know, fans are actually going to sit down and watch the game. Mm -hmm. It's going to make it, again, feel more like the NCAA tournament. And I think that if the NBA can try and mimic that in their postseason format as best as they can, I think they're going to see a massive increase in viewership. They'll see a massive increase in fandom. I think it'll be a lot of positive stuff out of that. For sure. I agree 100%. And guys will play a lot harder. They'll take every possession series. They already do, I'm sure, in the playoffs. But, you know, especially in, in those first-round games, usually you, you kind of see a couple blowouts. You see certain games that aren't as, you know, exciting. Um, when you talk about the format that they have right now, that NCAA tournament feels second to none. So um, it's definitely going to make them, the game a lot more intriguing. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see what will happen. So, uh, you know, we'll both have to stay tuned for that one. But... I want to segue now into uh, the, the follow-up conversation we had last time. Talked about your freshman year at Pitt and that incredible run that you guys had. Now we're going to talk about your sophomore year. And although your team saw a little bit of, you know, not I don't want to say a setback, but not at going as far as you probably would have liked or would have expected, you personally saw a lot of growth as a player. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that offseason that you had and that focus that you carried into out of your freshman year and into your sophomore year. So uh, I had a great opportunity um, that, you know, I took advantage of. And since I played on the USA basketball team right after my freshman year, uh, Coach Jamie Dixon was the head coach of the USA team. So I had to try out. I ended up making the team. And uh, all in all, you know, I was one of the, you know, one of 12 players to be on the USA team. Uh, with Clay Thompson, Gordon Hayward, uh, Shelvin Mack, a couple of NBA guys. So um, I look back at it now that that was a huge, huge step uh, for my improvement as a sophomore and just uh, my whole college career in general, just because I was playing against, you know, high level guys day in and day out in the summer, um, playing five on five, getting my shots up. And then I was kind of comparing my game to other top players in the country. So I kind of knew what to expect even during the season, you know, uh, after my freshman year, because, you know, in the summer, uh, I just kind of took different things from each player, what they were doing before practice, after practice for them to separate themselves. And I kind of took that with my game and it ended up helping me out my sophomore year and um, got most improved. And we had a really good season. Uh, as a team as well. Yeah, you guys you guys had a great year. You know, obviously didn't didn't go as far as you did the year before, but still had a really, really good year. Um, again, you were Big East most improved player and you were all Big East selection. When you went into that off season and, and you kind of had the focus of what you wanted to improve on, did you wind up improving on something that you didn't initially set out to improve on, but because of focusing on whatever else you were focusing on, something else was, you know, that other added dimension to your game was elevated also? Uh, I would say my conditioning and then just my IQ of the game. I just, I I really dug down in the film and where I would get my shots uh, every game. Um, So I really attacked that in the off season. So I got a lot of shots up. I was making at least 500 to a thousand shots uh, every single day, but different shots that I would literally take in a game. So Literally, so once the season started, it was, it was pretty much second nature on, you know, where I was going to get my shots. And I've been doing it the whole summer. So it just became easier from there. How sore is your shoulder after shooting that many <laughs> jumps? I would be in agonizing. Yeah. Pain. So so initially. 
So initially, it's it's definitely tough, especially the first couple of weeks. But, you know, after a while, your body gets used to it. And then um, that's just the day to day preparation that you have to, you know, do that, you know, kind of separate yourself from the pack. And I just prided myself in shooting in general. You know, I've always been a shooter throughout my career. So um, I just took that and just tried to maximize it the best way I could. Was there anything when you were at the USA camp, was there kind of a, a routine that you were in? What was that routine that you had for yourself personally? Um, so it was definitely a stretching routine, a specific stretching routine I had, you know, uh, the foam rolling, stretching, and then I would definitely get up shots, a certain number of shots, um, with the assistant coach every, uh, you know, every day before practice. And then after practice, I would have another stretching routine. We would lift and then I would get a few more shots up. So, um, stay, you know, come in early, stay late. And I tried to just make that a routine in the summer. Um, it ended up paying off. We we won a gold medal in New Zealand that year, that summer. And then I just took that throughout the season, and it really helped. Yeah, you had an incredible year, your sophomore year, and, and that improvement was very apparent. I mean, you increased your point-per-game average by like 11 points or something like that. So you had a really, really good year. But for your team and, and for your whole, your team as a whole, what was the biggest difference in terms of you know team dynamic, chemistry, whatever, from your freshman year to your sophomore year, what was the big difference in those two teams? Um, basically, it was just new guys that we we just had to command a role, if that makes sense. So because my freshman year, we had basically three All-Americans, LeVance Field, Sam Young, and DeWan Blair. So we kind of knew that we had to get them the ball. The You know, the offense was running through LeVance, Sam, and we went from there. So my sophomore year coming in, you know, me as the point guard, but Brad Wanamaker, he, you know, we both played a lot more. Jermaine Dixon, uh, we just had a lot more guys, but they weren't proven. So that was the biggest thing is just, a, you know, establishing roles. And then once I became known as a shooter and then we were, you know, still the same, had the same identity in the sense of we wanted to defend and rebound with the best in the country. And then through that, you know, I just kind of, just took my shots and tried to become, you know, uh, tried to study the game a lot more and just see where where my shots were going to come from. And then in the game, it became easier and easier. Did you, when you came into that season, did you try and take it upon yourself to be kind of one of the leaders, you know, a, a returner, you know, with a young team coming back? Did you try and take it upon yourself to be one of the go-to leaders on the team, even though you're a sophomore? Yes, for sure. And I think that was that was one of the reasons why the USA team helped me a lot as well, because, you know, I was one of the, you know, I started a couple games for the USA team and, I, you know, Coach Dixon, him being the head coach, he kind of molded me into that role. So it became easier once I was with Pitt. And uh, I tried to establish a leadership role, not only uh, vocally, but just by example. So I'm, I'm not a real, you know, boisterous and just loud type of guy. Um, but I, I wanted to be the first one in the gym, last one out, wanted, wanted everybody to make sure that I was um, all in on winning a championship, regardless uh, of our past success. Yeah, that's the best way I think to be. You know, for as a leader, it's not necessarily always the loudest and the most vocal, but it's the guy that's in the gym during that extra time, getting in those extra shots, putting in that extra work. That other guys will it'll resonate with them, it'll stick with them, it'll and it'll stay with them. When you so there's go back to your freshman year. 
um, quickly and, and think of a team that you probably, you know, did not play as well against as you would have liked to, but then you come back your sophomore year and you play way better. I mean, they didn't even, I mean, it, it, it hit them out of nowhere. They did not expect that. What was the team? What, what team did you see a drastic improvement yourself personally in terms of playing against them? Uh, probably UConn, um, UConn and even West Virginia a little bit. Um, those are the two teams, but all in all, I, you know, I just have high standards for myself. Um, and at that time I did as well. Uh, I, I just didn't think, you know, I, I thought my freshman year went well individually, but I still could have took it to a completely different level. And I knew like the, the type of work I was putting in, I knew it would pay off. So I was just being patient, patient with the process. And then all in all, once I really got that opportunity to play more and more minutes my sophomore year, I just really took advantage of it and the work paid off. When you were starting to play those extra minutes, I mean, was those first couple games pretty, pretty tough for you because you're not used to playing those many minutes or had you been preparing for that all summer long with the USA team? Uh, it was a mix of both, um, you know, because the USA team, it was just a different dynamic. We played a little differently. I had, uh, you know, me, me being a point guard, I had a lot of shooters around me. My pit team, we didn't, we weren't really, you know, shooter based. We were more defensive based. So we had a different type of system compared to the USA team. So I had to really get used to that. At the same time, I had a lot more pressure on myself to make shots um, with Pitt. And, you know, that's what I tried to do. Well, it, it definitely paid off, paid dividends for you, you know, all that work and coming into that season prepared with that USA you know, background already. Now, did Coach Dixon carry any of that kind of standard that he set and that he had out of that USA tournament? Did he carry that into that pit season for you guys personally? Did you notice that? Yes, 100%. I think that's one of the biggest uh, traits about Coach Dixon. His, one of his best traits to me is his, uh, his standards are really high. He holds everybody accountable. He doesn't care who's playing, whether, you know, you're a walk-on or you're the best player on the team. He's going to hold you accountable. Everybody has a role, and it's your job to maximize it. And if he feels like you're not, um, he's going to let you know. And I think that was one of the best traits about our team. Um, and it, it became a culture almost at, at the end of the day. Everybody knew what their role was, and day in, day out, if you didn't do what you're supposed to do, uh, he was going to call you out. And then the more and more we got into it, it became a player based team and different players to call you out. Was there a player besides yourself that had that drastic of an improvement like like you did? Uh, I would say Brad. Brad Wanamaker, he he I mean, he was always in the gym. He got a lot stronger. Um, jump shot got better. Um, but Gary McGee as well. He definitely had a huge improvement. Um, but all of our guys, all in all, like we, we were just a different team in the way we just approached the game and we competed in every practice. We competed in every single drill and it just became second nature in the game because every single day in practice, it was so tough that the games are easy. So when you go to the NCAA tournament, you know, you're, you're obviously you, your exit is a little bit earlier, your sophomore year than it was your freshman year. Was there any frustration that you and your other teammates felt about that having come off a year where you guys go to the Elite Eight, but you still see so much improvement on your team and yourself? Was there any sort of frustration that you felt about that kind of early exit out of the tournament? Oh, definitely in frustration because we had high standards. We definitely, regardless losing, you know, three seniors or well, four seniors with Terrell Biggs as well. But, uh, you know, coming in my sophomore year, like we, we had really high standards just because we knew the work we put in day in and day out. So 
Uh, it was definitely a tough, you know, loss in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but I think my junior year, the year after that, uh, we took that with us and, you know, we ended up having a great season that year. Well, you guys definitely had a great year that year for sure. Um, and we'll continue to have these conversations about your junior year and your senior year because, you know, your career continues to build up and up and up. Um, and like, like I said, that freshman to sophomore year was a huge jump for you. Um, and, and it was it was awesome to watch that, you know, as a kid growing up and, and watching Pitt basketball and, and all those Big East teams. Um, I know you and I have said this many times on air, off air, but I really miss the old Big East. I think the the old Big East was the best basketball conference by far. I love the Big Ten now, but I've always loved Big East basketball. And it's just sad that it's not the same. You know, yeah. it's not the same. Um, I mean, how much do you just as a fan now, as a viewer, how much do you miss those matchups, watching those matchups? I know you you were in those matchups and you were playing, but how much do you miss watching those? Oh, I miss it a lot. And basically, they, I mean, you talk about every, weekly, you had to play really tough opponents. You go Yeah, from, you're getting hit from one, one uh, side or the other. Exactly. You go from Georgetown to UConn to Syracuse. You know, you had so many good teams, man. West Virginia. So you really couldn't take a game off. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a game off and... It was just, it, it was an honor just to play against, you know, the best, the best in the country. And we had so many teams that were top 20 in the country at the same time in the Big East, too. So that made it, that made it even better. And a lot of us actually, you know, we played together or played against each other growing up. Um, you know, you talk about the Truck Bryans, Deshaun Butlers and West Virginia's and Kimball Walker's at UConn, like, these are guys that I played against in Jersey, New York, um, growing up. So to play against them in college, you know, uh, on ESPN was just, uh, you know, second to none to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I, I, I really remember all those big East matchups and the big East tournaments. And that was, that was the height of college basketball. You know, when I was growing up, I feel, um, I mean, that's when, you know, basketball was intense it was it was uh, I mean it still is I mean it still is today but it's definitely not the same feel that the Big East was uh, oh so many years ago but Ashton as always I appreciate you sitting down with me my friend we'll we'll definitely get back to this uh, very very soon but before I let you go one quick question I have to ask it because I asked you it last week and it's actually one of the topics we talked about but any interesting fan interactions any interesting fan stories from your sophomore year you want to share sophomore year no, no, no real fan interactions. It was just no quarters being thrown, no quarters being thrown. It was just wild in terms of uh, in terms of the fans in the Big East, just in general. Like you talk about Syracuse, the Yukons, Louisville's, they were just crazy fans. But it wasn't one specific, you know, interaction that I had. Not not at all. Oh, OK, well, hey, you know what? That's all right. You know, uh, maybe maybe next time we'll, uh, when we talk about your junior year, you might have some other ones to share. But anyways, I appreciate you sitting down with me as always, my friend. And until next time, stay well and stay positive. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And there he goes, Ashen Gibbs. And it looks like that'll do it for us here today at Riding the Pine, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to follow and subscribe to Riding the Pine on Apple and Spotify to stay up to date on the latest episodes and material coming out. Going to continue to get these episodes out weekly to all of you because I know we've got a lot of great guests coming down the road. So stay tuned for who's going to be on Riding the Pine in the coming weeks. Again, folks, feel free to share your feedback with me on Apple. Leave a comment, leave a rating. 
I'm open to any and all feedback. I want to continue to improve this show and continue to get it to as many people as possible. Thanks again so much for, for tuning in, as always. And until next time on Riding the Pine, keep on sitting the bench with me. <laughs>